Hey there, welcome to another episode of Fast Forward, a podcast from QSR Magazine. My name is Sam Okus, I'm the editor of QSR and the editorial director of Foo News Media. Today I'm sharing a conversation with James Walker. He is the senior vice president of restaurants for the iconic American chain, Nathan's Famous. Uh, now, if I'm doing the math right, Nathan's Famous opened its first hot dog stand in 1916 which means that makes it really the only restaurant company in America that has survived two global pandemics, right? So the Spanish influenza of 1918 uh, being the last major global pandemic that we had. Uh, A&W, if I, according to the research, A&W launched in 1919. So again, another brand that was kind of there for those days of the last pandemic. But Nathan's having launched in 1916 has been through two of these things. Of course, nobody with Nathan's today went through that last pandemic. And it's a completely different company today than it was then. Uh, But nonetheless, Nathan's is a company that really thrives on its history, on its status as an American icon. Its customers, as James tells me in this conversation, uh, it has some customers in their 70s and 80s who grew up with this brand. This is something that's really very much a part of their history. Their lifestyle is very nostalgic. They have this affinity for the Nathan's brand. And I thought it was interesting because in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, Restaurant companies have had to really modernize quickly. Those restaurants that weren't already uh, up to speed on digital capabilities have had to do so. They've had to really get online, create these digital platforms, and especially create a very robust off-premises network. And for some restaurant companies that have been around for generations, maybe they they hadn't necessarily caught up to speed. So James talks about how Nathan's uh, was already on track to be developing some of these off-premises platforms, uh, but the pandemic has really accelerated that. And he also talks about how they're trying to figure out how to offer uh, this experience, this nostalgic experience for those customers, especially those older customers, who who really remember Nathan's as uh, this uh, slice of Americana that they grew up with. Nathan's Famous also is based in New York City, which of course uh, was the epicenter of the pandemic, really for the first two months. And so James and I talk also about what it meant to be based in New York through that, to have so many of its restaurants based in New York City and what it really learned through that. We also talk some about franchising. Nathan's has hundreds of restaurants uh, around the world, uh, but is really pushing to grow through franchising. And so James talks about how he thinks the pandemic is really going to change their franchise direction and what franchisees are really kind of looking for now post-pandemic. Before I jump into that conversation with James, uh, I just wanted again to remind you that we are currently collecting information through a podcast survey. Uh, we really want to know a little bit more about you and a little bit more about your thoughts on this podcast so that we can better tailor these episodes to suit your needs. Uh, we launched this podcast survey at qsrmagazine.com slash fast forward. Again, qsrmagazine.com slash fast forward, one word. It will take you five minutes or less to fill out this survey, uh, but it will go a really long way to helping us make this a better podcast and one that is even more valuable for you and your business. Uh, at the end of this month, at the end of June, we are going to do a drawing for a $50 Amazon gift card for everybody that uh, completes this survey. So please go to qsrmagazine.com slash fast forward and fill out uh, this survey only five minutes or less to do so. It's going to help us make this a more valuable podcast for you. 
qsrmagazine.com slash fast forward. All right, jumping now into my conversation with James Walker, the Senior Vice President of Restaurants for Nathan's Famous, who started by talking a little bit about the initial pivot that Nathan's had to make in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. You know, a lot of what we did was accelerate the trajectory that we were already on. Uh, We Mm -hmm. had been very focused. I'd been with the brand for about nine months prior to um, the quarantine or the stay-at-home order, which was uh, the 22nd of March in the greater New York area. We'd been focused for about nine months prior to that with building a team uh, that was very agile, very adaptable, and moving the brand towards um, utilizing technology and off-premises opportunities. Mm-hmm. So we were heading in the right direction. Um, you you get to March 22nd and you know anything that isn't off-premises comes to a screeching halt. Um, yeah. So you know, from a pivoting standpoint, I think it wasn't that we had to move in new directions. It was accelerate and put a much greater emphasis on certain things like our ghost kitchen strategy, uh, our utilization of social digital to have just very intimate marketing messages geolocated to our restaurants and uh, just aggressively trying to differentiate ourselves in the sea of of everyone running to off-premises and Mm third-party delivery and those options. Everybody headed that direction. We were already there, but how can we differentiate ourselves? Uh, If somebody goes to one of the the DSP, the delivery providers, we want them to make that selection to, to enjoy Nathan's Famous. So we spent a lot of time talking about that. So I think to answer your question, the pivoting was really reprioritization and acceleration on certain work streams. Mm. It it strikes me that Nathan's must have already been a pretty off-premises business just in that you guys, I can't imagine you had a ton of dine-in because we're talking about this great sort of walk-up window style business. Is that right? Well, we, you know, it depends on the location. And I think when, when you think of Nathan's, one of the things I love about Nathan's, and there's a lot to love, is it's an emotive brand. It's a brand that our customers have a much uh, greater affinity for than just they came in to buy a New York cheesesteak or a hot dog. They mm-hmm. want to have their photo taken. They want to talk to their friends. They want to be in the moment. So uh, if you think of our flagship restaurants down in Coney Island, you know I don't know that the dwell time is particularly long, but people want to come and experience that restaurant. If you step out of those, you know, those Brooklyn locations, say, for example, to our Yonkers location, um, where we had drive through business, um, a very aggressive drive through program, we had uh, partnerships with really all of the major delivery providers, we still did a fairly robust in restaurant business, Hmm. because a certain segment of our consumer base, not all of it, but maybe 25% of our consumer base are these just brand fanatics, and some of them are in their 70s and 80s from an age standpoint. So these are baby boomers, and they want to come in, and they want to sit in the restaurant, and they want to watch the hot dogs being cooked, and they Mm want to engage with, uh, with our team members. So that part of the business became very, very difficult um, on on the 23rd of March. Yeah, I have to imagine that that, you know, that demographic that has not experienced Nathan's Famous from the off-premises standpoint, it's 
it's not a natural evolution to just get them to download DoorDash and be able to do that. Or, I mean, is that what you tried to do? Did you have to try to communicate with some customers on how this whole process works for those who weren't used to it already? Well, I think under under communication, uh, we definitely went and we did everything we could to communicate to our internal customers, our franchisees and our employees, but also to our guests in every way we could. So it wasn't just telling them what, what we were doing or how, it was why. Why have we made these changes? Uh, why are we doing it um, to benefit them? So we did um, both electronic messaging and email blasts and using our app to communicate to guests, but also putting things in the restaurant that spoke to this. But I think under communication, I would also say uh, we were just, and still to this day, are very, very flexible. So, mm-hmm. you know, we uh, have people who aren't comfortable, to your point, you know, going and, and using an app for uh, third-party delivery, they still want to come to the restaurant. And dine-in is currently not something we're able to do within the boroughs or of, of New York. So mm-hmm. we had older baby boomer customers who were comfortable eating in their car. So we looked and said, well, what can we do? You know, we, we put trash cans outside. We tried to look at that, how do I eat in a car experience? and tried to deliver the food in such a way that they didn't have to get out of their car, that we were being super sensitive to hygiene and health and the regulations, but also trying to provide a little bit more of a dining experience than having them just walk in, grab a bag and leave, actually mm-hmm. delivering the food, you know, kind of like a, a car hop, which was something that um, that customer base is more used to. Sure. What's interesting is how in the long run, this really could help the Nathan's business and other restaurant businesses because, you know, very quickly, we're getting everybody up to speed with this technology, which we were already going to, in, you know, before all of this. So it feels like in a very short period of time, we're catching a lot of the demographics up to the future restaurant experience. Uh, I think that's right. You know, this is this has been an education uh, for I think all of the consumers, um, and you know, when you look at the impact of of COVID, um, you know, there is definitely some just really hard lessons. There's going to be some very difficult, long lasting, if not permanent, ramifications on business and certainly the restaurant business. But there's going to be opportunities that come out of that as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, at Nathan's Famous, being kind of where we are. The food we serve, what we've been focused on, um, our move towards technology and off-premises, we really like what the opportunities kind of post-COVID look like for the brand. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, too, that um, that sort of brand affinity that customers have. I mean, Nathan's is really the legacy chain, right? I mean, this is you know older than pretty much every other restaurant chain, uh, been around over 100 years. You have so many customers who just grew up with this chain and it's just embedded in like their DNA. And I, I feel like that must be an advantage now too, because especially now there's a lot of talk about sort of turning to comfort foods and comfort experiences dur- during an anxious time. Is there some way that you can play into that and some way be that sort of comfort to especially those who grew up with the Nathan's experience? You know, I, and that's that's part of that why I'm so, uh, I guess, bullish and positive, other than just being, you know, a generally very positive person. I believe that if you think of a family of four at home for the better part of 60 days, and they're cooking three meals a day, seven days a week, 
Yeah. They cannot wait to get out of their house and experience something. But mm-hmm. there's going to be criteria. First of all, I think they're going to want something familiar. Uh, I think they're going to want comfort food. They're going to, at least for several months, err on the side of indulgence. And they are going to want to go to brands that they trust because now in the decision-making you know, uh, metrics that consumers are going to use, yes, they're looking at price and they're looking at convenience and they're looking at you know, the quality of the products. But I think things like health, hygiene, and safety are now in that decision-making set. And that's where brands they've known and trusted for years, like Nathan's Famous and like Chick-fil-A and like McDonald's, I think will really um, be better off uh, post-pandemic. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, you, you guys have such a presence in the New York area. And of course, for such a long time, New York was really the epicenter of this pandemic. How did that affect things for the business? Do you feel like being at the epicenter of this thing taught you more lessons than maybe some other folks around the country? I, I think it did. Um, and I, you know, when I think of, you know, kind of what, what have we learned um, that maybe we hadn't thought of before, you know, so we, we were very focused on technology and product innovation and a lot of these things that um, COVID accelerated. But one of the things that we really hadn't looked at as a brand, because we had been just so massively successful in the greater New York and the tri-state area, was diversification. Um, you know, going out and ensuring that not all of our business was located in this one metropolitan area. And while not all of our business is, we're, you know, we are across the U.S., we are in international markets, but so much of our business was around that New York area, and it was impacted and still is to this day um, very, very aggressively. And there's markets that um, were not as impacted quite as, as hard as New York was. So mm-hmm. I, think, I think the lesson there is diversification, is, is um, making sure that um, your business could withstand something like this if it turns out this market that is usually incredibly attractive isn't the vast majority of your business. So we're looking at, um, you know, post-COVID, where can we grow that the brand still has this, this roster of raving fanatical fans um, that maybe is outside of that tri-state area? So diversification, mm-hmm. I think, is uh, going to be a long-lasting lesson for us. Certainly, the diversification also applies to how so much of the pandemic has unfolded. Of course, you know, at the start, it was really such a you know patchwork approach across uh, state governments and local governments on shutting down dining rooms and things like that, and, and that continues to this day with reopenings. Uh, I'm wondering. I don't. I don't think New York has reopened restaurants yet, uh, but I, I, I. I'm guessing that you have some restaurants that have, are in states that are reopening. What does that reopen process look like for Nathan's? So we're, uh, it's, it is every single day, every day, uh, you know, myself and the team look and see what has changed, what uh, new rules have been shared either by local governments or federal, and then working with the franchise owners to get those restaurants open. And, mm-hmm. you know, supply chain is always challenging, I think, in the restaurant business and even more so now. Um, so it is, it's an all day, seven day a week process to make sure not only do we get those restaurants open so our franchise owners can return to 
you know, profitability, which, you know, I think we have a very um, important obligation to work with them to try to get them open, but also to get food back in the hands of our guests. So uh, it's a it's a long and laborious process. I was thinking about for you guys whether or not you've been watching supply chain stuff because with for a brand that's so built around you know meat and and pork um, is that something you've been watching closely is it something you're worried about it's it's hard to get all the facts around our supply chain issues right now but I know that there's been a lot of talk about you know obviously facilities meatpacking plants with uh, you know with certain meats being very affected by COVID cases what, what does that look like for you guys is that something you're watching. It's something we watch. Uh, we have a call. In fact, my, my call just prior to uh, connecting with you was to go over where that is. So on a weekly basis, we look at where all of the major commodities, all of the major proteins are, what's going on. Um, and we're beginning to see a little relief that some of the prices in particular on the beef market are coming down a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. There certainly was a spike, and I think that that news made it beyond trade all the way out to just consumer news. We as a brand, and I think many others, we said, you know what, we're not going to pass any of those costs on to consumers at this point. We believe that this is a one, you know, a limited time spike. Let's ride this out. Let's get past these um, these spikes in the market. And let's do the right thing for our guests. So we're paying mm-hmm. attention to it. Uh, I would say even more than pricing, which I believe is a short-term phenomenon, uh, and it's certainly impacting the business, but short-term, is making sure where, you know, Nathan's over the past nine months, we've really talked about all of our product being memorable, craveable, Instagrammable, is making sure that absolutely that product we are serving as restaurants open is as good as it possibly can be and meets that threshold. So a lot of our time is uh, is talking about how we make sure that we don't move off that high quality positioning. Sure. So of course, so much right now is uncertain still. Uh, we don't really know when the pandemic itself will be behind us, but I know a lot of people are thinking about what's next. And I know a lot of uh, a lot of QSRs especially are thinking about expansion. Um, you know, sort of uh, a strange silver lining uh, of all of this is how much real estate will likely be available after this is all done. And there could be an opportunity uh, once this is all in our rear view, rear view mirror to really accelerate growth for some brands. And I was wondering what you thought about that. Uh, you know, first off, what was your expansion plans like before the coronavirus? And how might this all have maybe changed what you're thinking about? So we we had aggressive uh, both domestic and international expansion plans, and I am very, very pleased to say that talking to all of the partners we were working with before the pandemic hit are anxiously, you know, uh, James, in my market, we can get back to construction May 31st. Mm. Um, We can get back June 15th, depending on the market. So it looks like the partners we were working with before the pandemic and certainly before the stay-at-home orders around the world are anxious to get back and move forward with the business they had planned. Now, uh, it is not like me to usually be pessimistic at all. I'm a very optimistic and positive person. But I was very concerned that franchise sales or franchise growth with new candidates would be muted for for quite a period of time, that Mm -hmm. um, individual investors and potential franchise owners 
would really want to see, you know, a vaccine. They'd want to see the market come back. They'd want to see kind of a return to normality. And actually what we've been seeing, I think probably over the last two weeks is let's call them investors or potential owners or large existing restaurant groups are reaching out to us saying, hey, we know the market's going to come back. We know that there may be more real estate than there has been on the market. We want to be on the tip of that. What can we do if we can't get together to discuss this? You know, are we able to get on a, a Zoom call or a conference call and discuss how we can work together? Because when the stay-at-home order is off in my market, I want to hit the ground running. So, um, you know, I might have been more pessimistic or more conservative with how quickly our franchise growth would rebound. It seems like it's going to rebound quite quickly. Mm -hmm. It seems like based on my conversations with other folks too, it seems like franchising itself is going to come out pretty strong from this because, you know, especially a lot of folks are going to be wanting a franchise partnership to give support in case of future crises. I think franchisors have been able to sort of flex a little bit in that regard to show how, you know, they were there for their their operators through this season. And maybe people will want that relationship rather than going into starting their own concept. I think that's right. You know, uh, there were opportunities like the payroll protection program uh, where you just would certainly benefit from having a sophisticated franchisor, um, you know, kind of go through that and hold the hand of their franchisees to try to make those funds available through through the programs that were out there. And I know Subway, uh, a company that I had been with, you know, a little over a year ago, did a great job of working with a lot of their franchisees. So I think you're right. I think, um, you know, individual investors and uh, potential owners are going to say, how can I securitize my investment and having the, the partnership and the expertise that comes with having a sophisticated franchisor, I think helps with that a lot. Yeah. You mentioned the the geographic diversification as being one lesson that you've learned in this. What are some other lessons you've learned either as a leader or just as a member of the food service business or, you know, for Nathan's in general, what are those lessons you're going to take with you into the future after this coronavirus? Well, it's it's a lesson, more maybe reinforcement. I don't know that it's a new lesson, but it was reinforced in my mind uh, to a great extent. And that's just the the value and importance of great people. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm very blessed at, at Nathan's Famous to be part of a fantastic leadership team in the restaurant division. We have a great uh, brand CEO and the partnership that I've had with these individuals over the past couple of months uh, has been fantastic. And they really rose to the challenge. Uh, their job had a different job description every single day, and they just worked very hard. Um, and it wasn't about, you know, let's, let's do what we can to drive sales or profits. It's let's do the right thing. Let's make sure that we're taking care of our guests, that we're doing everything we can to make sure that there's a focus on health, hygiene, and safety in all of our restaurants, that we're doing the right thing for our employees and doing the right thing for our franchise owners. And the team was very, very focused on that. So, you know, the the reinforcement more than a new lesson is just the power of a fantastic team that works well together. Yeah. 
What do you think about for the restaurant industry in general moving forward? You know, we've talked about a few of the things, especially the uh, evolution toward off-premises, which was already happening, but now certainly is is the, the future is here when it comes to off-premises. But what are other ways you see the restaurant industry itself changing from all of this? You know, for the for the past 10 years, it seems like once a year, I, I see this survey and starting 10 years ago, you saw that convenience mattered more and more to, to mm-hmm. customers in the restaurant business. And a few years ago, actually, convenience began to even trump quality. For years in my career, it was always about quality. Quality was number one, and convenience kind of bypassed even quality. I think one thing that's here to stay and is going to change the way we do a lot is the importance of that hygiene, health, and safety so now it is convenience and absolutely it is still quality and and value but you know the health and hygiene of the product how much do i trust that this is safe for me to consume so we wanted this to be top of mind at nathan so we actually modified and added to our mission statement um, those words that we will conduct ourselves with a focus on health hygiene and safety so the top of mind, everything we do, if we're rolling out a new product, we're worried about quality. We want the quality to be just as great as it can be. And then mm-hmm. because of the importance of off-premises, we want to have great pra- packaging and we want that product to travel well. And now we yeah. also say, you know, are we able to seal that package? Can we put a safety sticker on it? What can we do to make sure that not only does it taste great, not only does it travel well, but that we're doing everything we can to make sure that that product is safe and hygienic. And I I believe those are going to be big metrics in the consumer mindset and where they decide to go eat. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Last question for you, James. Um, What is something that's bringing you a bit of hope these days? Uh, You know, something you can leave our listeners with that might be a a word of encouragement or advice, but, but something that might be a little bit more hopeful during this kind of somber season. You know, I think uh, for me, it's so simple and that's just the resilience of, of the American people. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, this is a group of people who, by nature, um, you know, as a culture, we're positive. We like to be outside. We like to socialize. So as these doors and individual markets are beginning to open and things can get back to some semblance of normality, I think we're going to see the economy come back Um more rapidly than we have before. We have a lot of very intelligent people in this country and any of them that are um, working for drug companies are focused on vaccines. I think that we're gonna come out of this and things are gonna turn around very, very quickly because it's in our nature as a people. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Thank you, James. I appreciate that and appreciate your time today. Good luck to you guys while you're out there and uh, be well. My pleasure. Thanks so much.